0: The following podcast
1: is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, and welcome to From Queer to Eternity, a podcast exploring what it means to us to be queer. My name's Scott Hancock, and every episode I'll be chatting to a different guest from the LGBTQ plus community, talking about their lives, experiences, and what queerness means to them, and hopefully discovering just how much we all have in common. Due to the nature of these conversations, certain themes, phrases or experiences discussed may be upsetting for some of our listeners, but generally we're here to celebrate queerness in all its forms and have a good time sharing our stories. This episode, I'll be chatting with... Misha Butler. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. question I'd ask everybody is, what does the word queer mean to you? It's a really interesting one. I was actually having a, a chat with my friend yesterday about
2: it because I think we, and we're in a very similar sort of age bracket, um, have very different approaches to it, um, where they kind of uh, approach it as this word that they associate with, not even with um, the LGBT community, but with um, with people using it as, as simply just a word to denote things that are different or strange hmm. or a bit weird. Um, and so for them getting to, to, to know the queer community and, and using that word in that way, was, was really difficult, but for me, um, I never was exposed to that side of the word, um, even, and even in a slur sense as well. Mm. So for me, it kind of, it only gave me freedom because for a lot of my journey. A lot of the words that I was given felt very prescriptive. And I, you know, within my trans identity, I, I really sort of subscribed to, to being a man in a, in a relatively binary sense. But, um, just to encompass everything about being LGBT, it felt easier just to be like, I'm queer. And, mm. and that opened up. You know, (laughs) it slightly closed down some conversations because you you have people, (laughs) when you say, I'm bisexual, I'm pan, they go like, oh, that's really interesting,
1: tell me more. But when you say you're queer, they're like, okay, I vaguely get what that is, you know. Do you find there's a sort of embarrassment from people of of not really wanting to delve too deep? Whereas, as you say, if you mention sort of bisexual or gay or or transgender, they sort of have a more immediate idea of what that means. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think
2: it's also they... uh, terms have been used quite academically, whereas mm. queer is sort of entering the academic world now, I suppose, um, and people are using it now quite academically. But um, it feels quite a social term that may, I suppose, alienate some cisgender heterosexual people who um, who kind of think, "Oh, that's that's not me. That's other," and I don't want to. You know, usually it's people who are really, you know. Trying to be aware, so they don't want to step on any of those and they recognise that queer is sort of a, a a whole bunch of things that we would take hours and hours to get into. So yeah, I suppose it might shut down some conversation.
1: And just as we sort of embark on your journey, mm-hmm. can we set the scene a bit and sort of what was your childhood like growing up? Yeah, I mean, my I have one of those stories that
2: um, I'm I'm seeing now more and more in the trans community, but uh, I never felt and i still don't think that they are represented in uh media at all which is the story of someone who really had very little antagonism mm. and i'm so so privileged for that uh, i grew up in a, a house in london with two parents who you know were together <laughs> and had you know relatively decent you know um wages so we kind of had a very easy upbringing and mm. i think also the sense that they were both quite liberally educated um i think they had experienced a lot of the world being sort of radio journalists and um both of them allowed me just to explore my expression however i wanted so when i was about um uh, what age i think probably 6 or something mm. maybe even younger i used to have girl days and boy days where <laughs> i would basically It was on and off. One day would be a girl day and I'd dress, present like a girl. And then the other day would be a boy day. Hmm. This was entirely my own construction. And so when I started to cheat and go, yesterday was a girl day, so today's a boy day. And do that every day. uh, (laughs) I was only cheating myself, really. um, And no one else cared. And I was just allowed to dress and present masculinely from a very young age. And I cut my hair when I was eight to look like a little boy. Um, and I just didn't know that that meant I was trans until much, much later. But I was allowed to, to sort of, yeah, be myself in such an easy and carefree way. And I'm, I mean, when I sort of started coming out and started, you know, going to the clinics and, and seeking the more medical route, mm. I think some of my parents' anxieties came in. And I think that's very natural. Um, you see that in a lot of parents. And I think it's, probably important because as a kid you can't really envision you know everything about the future but it was quite intense having had you know uh, my parents just completely letting me have free reign about my life and then suddenly having all these anxieties about you know my fertility and and my you know reaction to hormones because my mum had uh, difficulty with with um, hormone kind of treatment. In her past and and just yeah all of these things felt like a sudden bombardment that I felt like I hadn't um experienced but really I mean overall I've had a really great time about it and I mean I say this as a kind of uh, fun story to people but it's uh, incredible that when I did come out quite in quite a public way at school as trans I did the speech at our feminist sort of society group thing Hmm. um which was held in this the the big hall and we filled up most of the hall and my sort of deputy head came and things and throughout the the sort of speech it was was sort of generally about trans issues in general but everyone knew that that was me coming out basically and eventually i sort of came out in the speech and 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 i got a standing ovation and people crying and (laughs) and it was one of
1: those moments that you're like this Is't real you know i'm I'm fascinated because um I can't imagine that happening when I was growing up, but also I, uh, when you talk about you know being six years old and and having boy days and girl days and then cutting your hair to be more masculine, what was the reaction generally at school like towards these sort of issues and and what sort of education was made available to you mm. i mean it's really interesting because. I think
2: this is why it took me a long time to associate all of that behaviour with my gender identity because my exposure to trans things or trans issues or trans people was really bad. Mm. I I remember seeing some documentaries and uh, kind of seeing these trans people being portrayed as kind of freakish in a way. And so I I could never associate myself with with the trans community. Um, But in terms of how I lived my life I just my gender expression seemed to be oh that's just Misha and everyone took it in their stride it was never at least to my face it was never a an issue it was sort of a quirky thing that was me um you know on on the playground when we were separated into boy groups and girl groups for you know sport and things i would just sort of stand in the middle and <laughs> wait for someone to to go okay fine go in the boy group mm. but they never I don't, I don't think I remember any, any sense of anyone being bigoted or uh, bullying me for it. And I think the crazy amount of privilege I have because of
1: that is, I really feel now, to be honest. In terms of overall education, obviously people are taught about sex and things like that. Were gender issues worked into your education or is that something you sort of had to discover for yourself? Yeah, no, I...
2: Never think I. I think I never got taught anything about trans issues or gender issues within school at all, Hmm. Um, uh, or even sort of you know uh, pastorally. I don't think you know in PSHE or anything there was any mention of it. Um, So (laughs) my uh, my learning journey was through uh, my Tumblr days. Of being a a big, (laughs) you know, nerd and going on Tumblr and finding my nerd community and also finding the community that that spread awareness about these social issues and um, I think it sort of became a haven for me throughout my my early teenage years and I got a lot of my information through there, which is you know now we can see can be dangerous because there's a lot of misinformation being spread Mm. there. At the time, maybe it was just because of the the people I was following, or 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 something, but it it just all was so. I don't know. None of it felt antagonistic. It was all about supporting people, finding their own journeys, and just seeing other trans people and being able to interact with them was a blessing because I just never
1: knowingly met any. And you were saying before we started recording this podcast that you've actually been invited back to talk about trans issues, which feels like your school's making an active effort to recognize this stuff needs to be taught to people so that there's a wider understanding of the issues around it.
2: Yeah, I mean I think my school there was a, a sort of split with um uh, what uniform you had to wear. So I had to wear a blouse, but I was uh before I came out, but I was allowed to wear trousers. I was the only one who could wear trousers in the school, but I was allowed whereas hmm. a lot of other schools I applied to It was sort of, (laughs) I didn't, I wouldn't go to any school, secondary school, unless they let me wear trousers, um, because I just wouldn't wear a skirt. And um, surprisingly, quite a few schools were insistent that I wear a skirt. Um, But I think my school was really, throughout my time there, really trying hard to I mean trying hard to be liberal is such a kind of <laughs> um you know strange phrase to use but you know they were really trying hard to incorporate everyone's experiences um mm. and i know that you know i have friends who have d- had different experiences of my school um but mine was a really positive one and so when i came out my my school was so quick to be really supportive and uh we had we didn't have a, a an lgbt society yet um but a couple of girls in the year below me um, sort of, yeah, banded together and and enlisted me and we all kind of set up this, this group for any, you know, any people to, to come. It, would, it wasn't sort of directed specifically to um, queer people, but it could just discuss queer issues and expose people to that knowledge, which they were lacking in, you know, education. Um, and, And then, you know, you had to have a teacher sign on to, uh, you know, for it to be an official group Mm. at school, a club, then you had to have a teacher sign on. And and we had a new teacher who was my English teacher and he had moved from a different school. I can't remember which school it was, but he'd said that um, when we were doing one of the the clubs at one point, um, he said that he was just so moved. That he could be open about his sexuality um, in this school because he'd never been able to do that before, mm. uh, even you know in the 2010s. Um, despite the fact that there's no kind of legal ramifications about it, it's it was still sort of not really allowed. But at my school, it apparently was. Um, it was sort of just a laid back feeling, and that was the group that basically called me back to say. Can you yeah? Can you talk about your experiences, your work as a creative, um, and just your time at at your school and and how how your trans experience sort of or your your queer experience um, fed into that? And it was a really lovely chat, um, and we had some uh, we Q and A Q&A as well where students sent their questions in and I answered them. But yeah, I I sort of became a bit of a <laughs> I suppose a bit of a queer icon, and I feel really like arrogant <laughs> saying that, but <laughs> there was just no one who'd been particularly open before, mm. or at least as open as I'd been. Um, and so my, my teachers sort of brought me on with any sort of questioning um, younger person. I was sort of the mentor
1: for a few of them, which was exciting, but also terrifying. <laughs> yes, the responsibility of that, I guess, I suppose, must yeah. be quite daunting. When did you first realise... This is a slightly loaded question. I was going to say, when did you first realise you were trans? But, I mean, it sounds like you had that experience very early on, but maybe didn't have the words for it. So when did you sort of start to formulate a sort of concrete idea of, oh, this is what I am? And, you know, were you ever confused and thinking, oh, maybe it's a sexuality thing and I'm not quite sure where to park this?
2: Yeah, I mean, so I came out as... Gay, I never liked the term lesbian, and I think I understand why now. Mm. <laughs> um, but I came out as gay, you know, being attracted to women first, and, and I felt that that was a really big, you know, thing to to come out as. And then everyone else was like, yeah, you you, you fancied, like, everyone in Centrinians <laughs> For, like, <laughs> ever, we know that you went to women. And um, so for a long time, I think partly because it, it had been so easy for me I didn't understand that there was more that needed to change, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um I was like, oh, I you know, I knew older, um, sort of masculine presenting gay women. And so I was like, Oh, I'll just be like that. But as I sort of, you know, went through puberty and things, it just became more and more pressing. And I remember one winter and I cannot remember how old I was, but I remember somehow finding the term um gender identity disorder syndrome or something Mm. it was I just remember it saying g-i-d-s gids and I I just ran through the house going oh I'm a gid I'm a gid (laughs) (laughs) um and sort of joking about it but uh, uh and then as I sort of you know over the coming year after that I sort of looked into more of what that was now if you know what i mean obviously we don't really that's not really what you describe trans people as hmm. um and i started to go oh wow that that sort of sits right but at the same time there was so much within me uh, as i say because of how accepted my expression had been that was like oh the trans experience is about this feeling of feeling in the wrong body you know that's that typical phrase where mm. you kind of go oh I'm every trans person in tv goes mom dad I'm trans and I've, I was born in the wrong body um <laughs> and it's that just never set, sat right with me I just I don't know I was like this is my body and I love my body and I love my name I didn't change my name either mm. because it was well, it was unisex so that was useful um <laughs> but uh <laughs> but my body was definitely mine i didn't feel this disconnect with it um that i saw every trans person apparently um experiencing and so for a long time i was like oh i can't be trans even though i was sort of going to bed every night from the age of i don't know very young you know wishing that i woke up as a cis boy um hmm. it wasn't until probably the age of 40 that mm, See, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's not been too long, but I cannot remember because it's also blurred. But I think around 14 that I really uh, internalized the sense that this was right and that trans was an identity that I um, felt sat with me and that I wanted to use
1: different pronouns. And it wasn't until I was 15 that I came out at school. And I think it's something a lot of queer people have in common wherever they sit in the spectrum of you know, for whatever reason, they question their identity a lot before coming out or defining themselves, because I suppose there might be an apprehension of being challenged or... Yeah, I mean, I think this is something that, you know,
2: there's lots of discourse around, you know, being trans and the experience of being trans. And I think, like, with everything, to be honest, um, even within sexuality, it's it's so unique to each person. So to... to, hmm. to place upon the trans experience one experience of it is ridiculous but i think there was something with me which was like although i had such a great experience externally internally there was an inherent trauma to it Hmm. um there was an inherent trauma to feeling alienated from the world i suppose the media around me and the sense that i didn't know anyone who was like me and so to be able to kind of actually accept that I wasn't those you know as I said earlier my experience of, of trans people was was a quite negative one of seeing them portrayed and to allow myself to 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 not just feel oh this is this is part of my identity but also be proud of that mm. it's something I'm still still working on um and I know that I have really big bouts of internalized transphobia because I uh, there's an element to which like you were saying mental health comes into it and I, I know that a lot of my anxiety probably stems from my you know expression gender expression and, and people not necessarily being bigoted but people finding me strange and different and I suppose queer um, but uh, you know and that still sits with me today that sense of not quite Feeling like I fit in, even though I pass amazingly, and I have so much privilege because of that. Like we were saying earlier, you know, uh, there are people I meet, and I will go through, you know, the whole encounter with them, and they won't, they won't know that I was trans or mm. uh, well, I am trans, <laughs> I was trans, and I have the privilege of passing down the street and not not having that abuse. Which I know are people in my life who don't have that privilege, but I think it's given me this weird liminal feeling of of almost feeling like i need to um conform as much as possible because it's it's given me so much good that to then embrace my transness and my queer identity i i feel that's really difficult and i can talk about it but to 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 sort of sit in it and to you know uh really present queerly Mm. Um, whatever that means. But, you know, to a sort of cisnormative society presenting queerly, I find really difficult um, still. I, I saw this amazing play by Zoe Cooper at The Orange Tree um, in 2019. And I had the, the privilege of, of working um, on a Zoe Cooper play before, which was, uh, just, I mean, they're just beautiful. And I just really, really <laughs> love them. And I mm. recommend them to everyone, basically. But um, this play was called Out of Water. And it was, um, set in South Shields, uh, and it followed, uh, a gay, a female sort of lesbian couple who had, uh, one of them was from South Shields and they'd met in London, I think, and and, and returned. And, um, the sort of London woman was quite femme presenting and was, um, pregnant because they'd, they'd, um, you know, gone through IVF and things. And there's just this amazing journey they go on I and mean, they also she's she's working at school with uh, a young non-binary person um so it's a sort of three-hander but uh one of the really moving parts for me was this sort of argument um, and the couple have where the the woman who's from south shields she's very butch she's um a police woman um and she uh has found it very difficult because throughout her life she's never been able to she's never had the privilege to come out um people automatically know that she's gay because she's just you know tick box everything that people associate with gay women um and then the other one is typically feminine and everything you associate with straight women and pregnant on top of that so people assume that she's got a husband
3: hmm.
2: and it was just a really nice kind of balance of an argument from two different sides where they were both describing how difficult it was from one end never to have the privilege to come out and then from the other end the exhaustion that you feel from constantly having to assert your your identity and I know that for me that really uh sat with me because it's always that like I don't know how you're going to react to this I feel almost um what's the word uh, like I'm keeping like, like I'm lying or keeping Almost like something a double from... life
1: or yeah
3: yeah
2: and and I feel bad about that because I feel like I'm you know uh, denying my trans identity which I don't like doing because I feel very comfortable expressing that I I want everyone to know because I feel like it's a big part of myself but I always have to <laughs> you know every new group of people every new person that's in my life I always have to find the time to go like by the way this is part of me and
1: yeah, it can be exhausting. Picking up on something you mentioned earlier and talking about that experience with the theatre of, you know, you recognising something you uh, could latch on to in that and how previously depictions of trans people in the media hadn't been something you could connect with. Do you remember the first time you met another trans person?
2: I think it may have been I, when, when I was sort of entering into the, um, the Tavistock clinic when I was about, yeah, 15, mm. my mum found on, like, she was doing lots of research, you know, really making sure that she knew everything, um, and she she found this group called Gendered Intelligence. Um, well, you know, it's sort of they're not technically a charity, but they basically run youth groups for young trans people um, or young questioning people, yeah, just to have a space to, to be able to just sit in whatever identity they want to sit in at that very, you know, that time. And I was a bit, oh, I don't really know if I mm. want to you know, go to this. I, you know, I know trans people online or, or I've sort of seen representations of trans people. I don't need, you know, that in-person thing. And then she eventually talked me into going to one. And, yeah, I remember talking about, I think it was experiences with bathrooms and just the stress that I've, you know, <laughs> that you kind of have to deal with just going to the to the bathroom. Mm. And just having someone who completely understood, who was sat next to me, who was just going like, yeah, 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 and this, and this. And I was like, oh my God, I, don't, I can't describe the feeling, but it was one that suddenly, it, it really affected that view I'd had before of that negative view of the trans community, which I didn't know still sat with me because I felt myself very, you know, uh, kind of woke. And, <laughs> mm. you know, even within my own community, I still had had carried this this bigotry really um and just being in this youth group where people could use they, they could change their pronouns they could use their name they could use a different name they could do whatever um and just not you know have everyone looking at you like you're something other mm. just sitting with people who just completely understood that part of my life was just so so life affirming. It's Mr P here and the other Mr P and we are the hosts of two Mr P's in a podcast. The educational podcast where you don't actually learn a thing. No, instead we explore the weird, wonderful and downright hilarious things that happen in school from people actually doing the job. We reminisce on our own time at school, funny things we experience each day and of course we share your hilarious stories from the chalk face. So, if you work in a school or just want a nostalgic trip down memory lane, sit up straight, fingers on lips, and get ready for the lesson.
0: Hold up. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
3: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: The bathroom thing is one of those issues, for want of a better term, you see splashed over the tabloids. Every so often, yeah. I mean, I remember primary school. You know,
2: this was not—I had no sense of of my gender identity yet. I don't think a lot of kids do that age. Mm. Um, but because I presented so masculinely, but I was, you know, directed towards the girls' toilets, and I knew I had to go to the girls' toilets because that was where I belonged. Um, that's what you know. All these adults were telling me. Whenever I entered the girls' toilets. I would have older women or 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 even people my age who who, you know, maybe didn't know me get so sort of up in arms and and, you know, really angry with me for going in there because I passed as a little boy and, and I would sort of I suppose actually in terms of antagonism, that's probably the biggest space of antagonism in my in my life mm. growing up because and strangely not in the way that a lot of trans people experience it because I I always presented in the the gender expression that i that i or well, identify with now, and um so really, it was me going to the wrong bathrooms <laughs> that was the issue um but it meant that at the age of six or seven, I developed this thing where I was like, I don't want to go to the bathroom right and I just became really, really good at holding in everything <laughs> um. And I, I obviously, that's really not good for you uh, and your kidneys. It never sort of got that far within my body. But I think that's very common for a lot of trans people. It's just this thing of not going to the toilets because it's easier just not to, mm. um, which can be very medically dangerous. Um And I don't think that... I think within generally the trans experience, what a lot of cis people find very difficult to... And I think this makes complete sense because it's, it's a very difficult thing to get your head around when the whole of society is very cis normative, is the sense of what it actually feels like to be trans. Um, and I think it comes into, I suppose, the same. There's a lot of parallels with the, the, the gay experience of, of politically and socially, um, of this sense of choice. Mm. And for, you know, for a long time, And still, to this day, a lot of homophobes are like, oh, but why would you choose that life of being gay? And I think it's still such a prevalent thing with the trans community of, of, oh, yeah, but you're choosing to present that way, you're choosing to do this. And it's like, I don't think you quite recognise how integral this is, how internal and how,
1: I don't know, innate it is. I think whenever I've heard people describe transgender people or or gay people as having made a choice you do question you know in the case of gay people why would you make your life harder in society and with trans people why would you elect to undergo quite invasive surgery in some cases yeah and and that sort of leads me on to the question of when did you start thinking you needed to make a sort of physical change as well as a, a the mental one that it sounds like you knew where you were at but how did that then manifest into going, actually, love my body, but it's not the right one for me? I mean, I think the the seeds of it
2: happened in, uh, you know, as soon as puberty happened, really. Hmm. Um, but it, it sort of became more and more pressing as I got, you know, to the age where I wasn't passing um, as well, because I still looked about 12, um, and my voice hadn't broken and all of those things. And I suddenly, you know, I had friends who were, who looked like men, you know, when I was still a boy. But I think the sense that although my body felt like my body and I always had a very strong connection to it, there were parts of it that just made my life so, so difficult. So, for example, my chest, I just couldn't deal with um, the idea that I would live my life binding, but I couldn't not bind, if you know what I mean. I couldn't not go out. Uh, with a binder on or with some sense of, of covering up my chest because it made me
1: feel physically sort of sick. And again, in terms of health issues, mm. Mm. binding, you hear about people developing back issues and, and things like that through, you know, prolonged binding to try and, as you say, present as male. Yeah. And so so presumably it's uncomfortable as well as just... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... It... It's uncomfortable.
2: It's, um, yeah, the extent of it. You know, if you have to, for example, work or whatever, and you're working a sort of I don't know, however many hours, twelve hours, ten hour shift at a bar or something, and you have to wear a binder non stop for that time. It's yeah, it can be really damaging. You really shouldn't wear a binder for longer than eight hours. Mm. Um, I know a lot of people do because it's their dysphoria is just so intense, but. Yeah, I I developed really weird sort of breathing things. <laughs> like I sort of had to like sigh quite a lot even when I wasn't wearing a binder and and even with a binder my posture was just so bad mm. because I was hunched over trying to hide any bulge uh in my chest. And yeah, there's just so many things that still affect me physically because I developed with a, a bit of a hunch, you know, mm. <laughs> and all those things, um, and also, I mean, physically, uh, just going back to your question about transition, things like periods were, you know, they are for women a really difficult, you know, time, and we know this. And uh, it's, I mean, obviously, a lot of people don't know that, and they don't quite appreciate how much of your time goes into, um, you know, really trying hard not to leak and Hmm. and how your emotions are all over the place. And and it's just pretty hellish, especially when you're a teenager, um, because your body's still getting used to that rush of hormones. But for someone who was, you know, presenting as a man and really aware of how everyone perceived him, I'm just talking about myself in third person now (laughs) Um, (laughs) for some reason. And uh, that was just insanely difficult. I just couldn't deal with it and it put me in such a bad place um and weirdly i was really privileged with my periods if you know what i mean because i i didn't have any uh period pains Hmm. or cramps at least not until i started hormone blockers and then my last period was just it was like revenge (laughs) you had (laughs) it easy all this
1: time and then
2: (laughs) (laughs) going out with a bang you know um but yeah i think just things got more and more pressing and i Couldn't basically, I couldn't imagine living a full and happy life. Hmm. I I would look into the future and just not understand how I could live that far like that. And I've, and I've I've not felt the extent, you know, uh, I know a lot of people who are quite suicidal and I don't think I ever got to that point. Um, but it did really affect my mental health. And I suppose that feeds into your question before with that kind of internal at all affecting my mental health I wouldn't say I was near suicidal but the sense of of, of looking into the future and not seeing a
1: future w- was really you know scary I suppose that's it you were you were fortunate in that you had a support group around you in terms of family and friends who understood that part of you from the way you describe it. And of course, not everyone's that fortunate, but there are brilliant charities out there and organisations who can offer help and support. But uh, yeah, all all this stuff's bound to take its toll. Having sort of gone through that journey, is there anything you experienced looking back that you wish you'd known at the time or would have been useful to know, I suppose? Mm, That's a really interesting question. Yeah, I think
2: the difficulty is I have these conversations sometimes in my head of of sort of young baby Misha and and Misha now um, and I've got I've got to write a short film or something about it <laughs> it's got to happen um, but uh, you know having these conversations and realizing that we are two very different people and in a way I carry a privilege now that I didn't carry as a, as a younger person and I I want to give all this knowledge and and kind of you know this sense of like oh you don't need to have everything figured out or you need to focus on things um outside of transition physical transition you know hormonal intervention and and surgery that are affecting your mental health because i think as a a young person as a lot of trans people um think oh my dysphoria is all encompassing and so when i have transitioned everything will be fine (laughs) i'll be sorted which obviously just isn't the case we're rounded people there is gonna be a whole host of other things that we have to deal with, but you know telling younger me that, I think I don't quite appreciate that now at this age enough how difficult I felt things were at that point, if you know what I mean, mm. and so to tell younger me, oh, you know, don't be so focused on transition, try and focus on other things, or you know you don't have to have everything figured out, or you know all of those things. I I just I think I would have been very angry <laughs> yeah <laughs> I would have been like you just don't get it <laughs> um and in a way I don't I think there's this you know there's this sense of of amnesia that has come over me of post-surgery I think I remember waking up and being like I just don't really remember how it felt to to not have a flat chest mm. just quite immediately and And it was the same with testosterone. Once my voice broke, I just couldn't really remember what my voice sounded like before. And yeah, it's really strange, but I still stand by that, you know, any young people listening to this, there's this huge pressure to, to, you know, find everything out, um, immediately and to know who you are. And I think there's an amazing movement within sort of Gen Z, kids now i mean there's a lot of issues within that generation but there's a lot of good things Mm. and i think um the sense of like the lack of binary and the lack of needing to label everything and the fluidity within it is amazing and it's something that i've sort of gotten to know now and that's kind of feeds into why i like the word queer because it just allows space and Breathing space, and I think that I would encourage any young person who's questioning to allow themselves to identify with broader terms while they figure everything out and not feel like they need to put themselves in a faction and then fit themselves to that faction mm. because I don't think that's healthy, and I think there's a lot of factions out there on the internet and and in real life that will force you to be something you're not um, and I know a lot of people who got close to physical transition and and then realized it wasn't meant for them. But this sense that of medicalization of, of trans issues, a lot of the media is surrounding that because that's what everyone's scared of. Um and weirdly, I mean it's more, I'd say it's more the kind of people who are trying to stoke fear in people who are pushing that medicalization narrative than the actual trans community. There's so many people anyone I know that you'd speak to would go the medical transition is not the biggest part. You need to figure out the internal stuff before you go that
1: way. (laughs) I'm curious, you talk about community, in terms of the LGBTQ plus community and and the scene, do you feel included in that? I think that, you
2: know, I I definitely embraced it very, very intensely as a a teenager. And it it felt like home. I remember my first Pride march, we were like basically right at the front. I was marching with Gendered Intelligence. I was there, you know, with my Family and friends, and just being so openly queer and happy about it, and proud, and just you know. And I think as I've got this kind of you know, post-transition amnesia stuff, I've I've sort of I don't know. I've moved away from the exuberance of it. I guess it's it's this sense of intense pride and 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 uh, happiness all the time that I find quite difficult sometimes to you know i find i find quite
1: tiring um mm. i don't know if that makes sense but there's more to me sure than just being a trans person
2: yeah and but it's something that i kind of you know i very much feel like it feeds into a lot of what i do but it's something i i'm still you know working out on a personal level and also just my there's a there's a very big culture around uh the lgbt community there's a very very I mean, camp in a beautiful way mm. culture that I am still trying to figure out, as I said earlier about my kind of embracing queer presentation, I'm still working on that and I still don't feel like I fit within that um, that presentation and that, that culture and also i mean you know there's like, like a scene as well there's like an lgbt <laughs> scene of going out clubbing and and going to these really big cabaret events and i'm a bit of an introvert sometimes and i do like just watching tv series <laughs> at home um in my bed and you know, not going out. I mean, love a drink at the pub where I can chat with my friends, but, you know, those Mm. big dancey clubs where you can't talk to anyone, I find them quite intimidating. So,
1: yeah. (laughs) And as an actor, I I love that you're an introverted actor. (laughs) How has your experience been in the industry? I mean, obviously, Spotlight now acknowledges uh, more than just the binary male-female. But even with that change, is there a fear now that you might be bracketed and typecast
2: more? Yeah, I mean, it's
1: interesting because I...
2: My experience with the industry has been quite integrally tied to my identity because I, at sixteen, on a whim, I was doing work experience with Gendered Intelligence. They seem to come up so much in this in this chat. <laughs> they were so kind of you know they were there throughout my my mm. journey and and I was talking to one of the um, the people who worked there, Jamie, and he was saying, "Oh yeah, we're running this um this this acting course uh, targeted towards." trans actors and I heard you mention that you like acting at school. Would you like to, you know, do it? And I uh I was terrified, so I didn't sign up until too late. But luckily halfway through someone dropped out and I managed to to get on the last three or something days of it. And through that I got an audition. They casualty were looking for a young trans person pre transition. And uh or you know pre physical transition. And um so I also missed that audition um, <laughs> and uh, and I sort of desperately emailed them late. And, and and I had a friend who who kind of, you know, poked the course leader of the transacting course going, this guy, you want to look at this guy? Cause he's probably right. And I, yeah, I got the audition. I got the, the role. And um, through that, my agent was watching casualty at the time and she said, I want that boy. And so you know, I contacted the course leader and found me. And from there, I basically, yeah, I, I my career sort of started from my trans identity. Um, and so I sort of never felt like I could be an actor until that moment. Hmm. It was something that I, I mean, I remember finding as a diary entry. I've always been so bad at writing diaries. Um, I just quit after two days. Um, but I found two pages of a diary entry. And, on that it was discussing my future. I was like, oh, I don't really know what I want to do with my life. I wanna be an actor, but I can't because I'm trans. There's no trans male actors out there really. I mean there are, but you know, I'd never really experienced them. And and then for some reason <laughs> my life completely went hat you thought, um <laughs> actually that's gonna be the very reason you become an actor. And um and as I've transitioned, interestingly the roles that I go up for, I'm not really suited for most trans roles anymore. Mm. Um, Most trans roles, I'll go up for them and I'll be like, I know what you want. You want someone who hasn't transitioned physically, who is often ostensibly trans, if that makes sense. I think a lot of people want that physical Mm. uh, affirmation that they are being um, diverse. Um, But I've had the odd call out there where you just know that they've done their research or there's a trans person on, on the group where you're like, Okay, I've read I read this breakdown and I completely understand that you are someone who who wants me not just for a diversity chip, you want me to to represent an experience and that's just amazing. And I always really, really want those roles. <laughs> but uh yeah, I've not had many of them, but um fingers crossed. But yeah, no, generally it's been it's been quite positive and having you know been able to pass I
1: do do a lot of cis roles as well which has been great. Obviously for a long time you have stuff like the Danish girl and and things like that where trans characters are portrayed by cis actors and I'm curious for you whether despite the fact it wasn't an authentic performer did you still connect with the story in a way or did that disconnect hold you back in some way from engaging with it? I've seen a lot of people talk about this a lot more eloquently than i am about to but um <laughs> i
2: think it does directly link into a sort of antagonism towards or a misunderstanding towards trans community when mm. you have um cis men for example playing trans women i think that's the primary one that that causes a lot of violence um because it propagates this idea that that trans women are just you know Men in dresses, sort of thing. It's it's this sense that you can always watch a, you know, I remember watching loads of media where cis people were playing trans people and going, "Why don't I? Why don't I connect to this?" Like, Hmm. I mean, it's kind of vaguely my experience, but like this just feels not me. And I thought that was still the kind of internalized transphobia that I had. Um, And then I remember seeing like I think it was Laverne Cox was the first person i properly kind of find oh god god i just like i just feel the trans experience there and it's so difficult to (laughs) explain Mm. because it's something that's it's just you know it's not physical it's not something you can point out or whatever it's just someone sitting in that experience and knowing and understanding with everything that they're saying about the trans experience and I don't know. I, I've never experienced that when I've seen a cis person playing a trans person. I've just you know, they can do an amazing performance. They can be amazing actors. And I think a lot of the time they are, and that's the reason they've been cast, because they just want to get the best actor. Um, but there is always something missing. Hmm. And <laughs> it must be a very frustrating thing to say to these people when you're trying to have that argument of going like <laughs> trans people should play these roles. Because it's like you're just not experiencing what I'm experiencing. I'm sorry. <laughs> mm. But, um, yeah, I think it's just, it's so transformative when, when you have trans people living their truth on screen, it just makes a difference. And it makes, I think it also makes a lot of the cis community understand transness better when you see someone just living truthfully and, and powerfully. It just changes people's perspectives. You don't even have to be talking about being trans. You just have to exist mm. being trans and and people suddenly start to understand. And I've had that experience in my life where people who have been previously like, I don't really get transness and I don't get all these trans people. And then they've had to interact with me. <laughs> <laughs> and they've found out that I'm trans somehow. And and you know, I've had people say that their grandmas have, have just gone for them after I've left gone oh I understand now and just that it, it moves me so much and, and I think that it just shows how representation within the media is just so important. Hmm. And what would you sort of like to see more of? A lot more trans men I would say I have not seen many trans men in, in the arts I will say this if I have, they've been young, very twinky, uh, sort of twee-looking, baby-faced boys. Mm. But trans men living, you know, post-transition in a very—I um, don't know—just in a, in a in a very normalised way that's not so surrounding their their identities. And I've seen a couple of those. To be fair, there's—I've oh, completely forgotten his name—but there's this American actor who who has done quite a few and he's, he's, he's doing amazing stuff. Um, And every time I see him, you know, a lot of the time the stories are about him being trans because he'll usually be a guest star or something, but, uh, but there'll also be a love story or, or, you know, something else. Seeing trans people exist with their identities, not being the central focus of the narrative would be amazing basically. (laughs) Um, And also, something i've felt really passionate about recently because of of things i've been writing and also just revelations that have happened to me is more trans people in um like i said love stories mm. really where where it's not kind of everyone freaking out that you're that you're dating a trans person it's just just dealing with the ins and outs of of being trans in a relationship um because i know that I still live with this slight feeling that I don't belong in the romantic canon, if you know what I mean. I've never seen someone like me in any rom-com that I felt connected to. And so when you don't see yourself in the canon of, 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 you know, that sort of um, existence, Mm. then you don't
1: really truly believe that you can exist as that person. If you know what I mean? leads me to ask in terms of dating as a trans person are there any i mean dating is difficult enough whoever you are but are there any additional sort of hurdles you have to jump do you find even if you impose them on yourself
2: yeah i mean i think it it sort of feeds back into that constantly coming out question because Mm. i feel that i would never be comfortable going on a date with a person without them knowing that i was trans just because safety-wise i think that's important yeah you know you have this added thing of like i don't know how you might react and if you think that i've like hoodwinked you into into mm. <laughs> dating me then i don't feel comfortable with that um but i think you know i think it's primarily that and I, I think it's also to a certain extent there is a part of me that finds it very difficult to believe that i again it's the fitting into the into the the canon of of romance of feeling like i have the ability to ask people out is a very big step and i've, mm. I've sort of forced myself to do it more recently but um not successfully unfortunately but um oh, <laughs> sorry to hear throughout that my life <laughs> it's all right and um, we're, we're really good friends now which is great um but uh it's this thing of feeling like there's there's a perpetuation of of most queer it's not just trans but queer people being predatory and i think i internalized that a lot as a, as a young person hmm. as a young person who thought that i was a gay woman for a while being in the in the um i mean you know now i i sort of have a much wider um thing of who i'm attracted to but feeling like i was only attracted to women and being in you know female changing rooms and feeling just so awful about like seeing people in that position, if you know what I mean. Mm. Like them not knowing that I was, you know, attracted to women, and them thinking, "Oh, uh, I don't know that that's predatory behavior by just existing in that space," if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and so I think I've carried that with me now, which is a sense of like, "Oh, I don't want to pursue anyone because I innately it, it feels predatory," and it's something i'm trying to work really hard on but you know i watch things like the notebook which is obviously a very cisgender heterosexual movie and i i go like oh my god ryan gosling's just really going for it (laughs) He's, he's asking her out like and she's said no like plenty of times and he's still asking her out and he's like forcing her to go out with him and i would just never feel comfortable even like the moment someone just says kind of like, oh, not really. Then I'm like, nope, okay, I'm out. No, <laughs> no sense that I'm going to go any further. Um, and I, don't, I think that's probably a good thing to a certain extent. Mm. I mean, there is definitely, a, you know, a very toxic thing about men, you know, not taking no as a no, which is an added layer to this whole, you know, dating thing and predatory thing uh, that I'm already trying
1: to deal with. I'm going to wrap up now because I'm aware I've kept you talking for ages and you've been absolutely marvellous <laughs> but sort of looking back at your whole experience I was going to say how long do you think it took you to feel comfortable within yourself? Yeah I mean I think
2: I think it it really has tied into my physical transition and I think it's given me the space to then go okay now I can deal with things not as a trans person I can deal with things as a person <laughs> if you know what I mean because because I sort of felt so overwhelmed by dysphoria before I was able to transition. These things that I've had to deal with now, I I just couldn't focus on. I I could didn't have the mental space um and the emotional space to focus on. And so I think it's now, I think even weirdly over lockdown, it's allowed me the space to to not think about other things and to actually sit in my identity and myself and assess it and go, okay, actually now I think I've reached that point And now the things I need to work on are my mental health or, you know, my body image, but not from a trans perspective, my body image from a perspective of, of a guy who doesn't have abs or like you know, <laughs> massive biceps and
1: things. And, uh, and yeah, so I think that, yeah, basically up until now. Brilliant. Thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks again, to Misha for taking the time to chat with me today. And huge thanks as well to our listeners who have taken the time to leave us a review. Or drop us a line on social media to let us know what you're enjoying most about the podcast. Next time, we'll be joined by our first queer academic. But until then, if you're not following us already online, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at Queer2Eternity. Hello, I'm Justin.
0: And I'm Lucy. And
1: together we are the hosts of Plenty Questions.
0: It's a very straightforward general knowledge quiz.
1: We ask you 20 questions, one after the other, five second gap in between, and you shout the answers out.
0: And then you tweet us to let us know how you've got on.
1: See if you can get 20 out of 20. No one has so far, but that's because we haven't started doing it yet.
0: Mm, But we will. Uh, And there's also going to be some fiendish brain teasers, so join us for Plenty
1: Plenty questions. Questions.